This is the Bare Naked Christianity Podcast, where we're stripping off religious layers and laying down our masks. Join us on this movement to get back to what matters, loving God and loving people. We're bearing all today here on Bare Naked Christianity. And now, here are your hosts, Meg, Ted, and Josh. We said on the last podcast that we were going to talk about boundaries, and here it is. So this episode, you get the boundary talk. Well, because last episode, we talked about uh, all of the things that we didn't sign up for that we ended up having to do anyways. And I think most of those things, um, had we had some boundaries and could have said no, um, we wouldn't have found ourselves in those positions. Yeah, I agree. So... Boundaries are important in ministry and they're also important in everyday life with family and work. And so uh, Ted is with us today. Mostly because they want me to be the example of having no chill and and not understanding boundaries between work and and regular life. That's going to be our example of how not to live. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I do. Now Ted's one of our, Ted is our third co-host. He wasn't on the first podcast but he will be around, so you guys will get to know him. The only reason I'm around now is because of the current uh, flu that is going around freaking people out left and right, so I don't have lacrosse obligations because they have canceled my life by canceling all NCAA sports. They, they didn't have boundaries. A, a terrible, excuse, a terrible <laughs> example of how to apply boundaries to, to a, a pandemic. They have canceled everything. Everything, everything is canceled. Maybe we can just record podcasts for the next two weeks since we can't go anywhere or do anything. What do you say, Ted? My daughter told me that uh, she looked out, she was in the kitchen and she looked at me in the living room and she said, dad, you're just sitting out there wallowing. That's not going to help anything. (laughs) And what is she, eight? She sounds like a genius. She's an old soul. She definitely takes after her mother. A little bit. So you guys... uh, I mean, a lot of people have talked about how this is messing up their schedules, you know, messing up their planning, messing up their vacations and whatnot. Cause this is, I mean, this is high flyer season for trips and vacations. It's spring break, you know, the month of March is spring break. Uh, do you guys have any vacations or anything planned that you're up to right now? No, but my sister might get stuck in Maryland. Oh, that's right. She is visiting. Yep. My kids are homeschooled, so we never go on vacation when the dirty public school kids are all on, on <laughs> vacation and on spring break. <laughs> I mean, that's smart. You know, yeah, his kids are going <laughs> to grow up to be your little friend from youth convention. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, they're going to be like, it's spring break. And we're going to be like, uh, it's November. <laughs> but no, I, vacations have always been um, a touchy subject for me when it comes to boundaries because... Um, I used to be like Ted and not have any boundaries. Um, but I will never forget this line somebody told me, and that is plan your schedule or someone will plan it for you. And at first I was just like, oh, you know, it is what it is. But then I got a job as a youth pastor and uh, summer sucks in ministry. Like it's it's really bad. There's either nothing going on or everything going on. And I remember um, like my first few years as a pastor and going, all right, well, we'll we'll plan our family vacation after we make sure all the church events are handled. And uh, there were church events every week, every week in June and July. And so my first year in ministry, I took my summer vacation 
the second week of September to the beach where it was no longer warm enough to swim. <laughs> oh man. That's the problem with going on vacation when the dirty public school kids go back to school because by the time, like obviously all of these sweet uh, scenarios in which the kids get off of school for vacation typically revolve around nice weather. And uh, for, for my kids, we always go right after the prime time. So we're always going after Labor Day when the weather's a little crappier and it, it just, it never pans out for us in the end. Yeah, but you paid a lot less. I did realize that. It's much cheaper to go in those off-peak, off-season times for sure. Especially for airfare and for, you know, just hotels in general. Like we're going on our beach vacation here coming up. And because we're going after everybody else's uh, spring break, we end up getting like our hotel for $200 a night cheaper than it would have been just three days before that. But you can't get in the water because it's legit 57 degrees outside. 100%. 100%. <laughs> I remember like going, okay, next year I'm not going to do this. Next year I'm going to get my get my calendar together and get my vacation on the schedule. And guess what? Yeah, I didn't. So I was like, oh, there's something more important. I got to take the youth group kids on this trip and then I got to do this. And then, you know, I got to stay there and cover the two weeks that the senior pastor takes his vacation and it happened like four years in a row. We vacationed like end of August, early September because I I didn't set boundaries. I didn't plan anything. I let something else dictate my schedule. Yeah, we, we ran into that in ministry where like the other associate pastor, or lead pastor, like they'd be taking off Sundays and weekends and they'd be going away and, and getting off and getting away. And then you have Whitney and I who are always there. And always like, they're always the reliable ones. Oh, we can go away. They're here. They'll take care of it. <laughs> and, you know, we still got to go on vacation and we still got to do what, what we wanted to do. But like, we would just, instead of missing four Sundays throughout the year, we would miss two right in a row and just take two weeks every year. Heathens. I know. How dare you miss two Sundays in a row. But you know, it was, it was one of those things where we had to, and when it comes to ministry, we had to learn our family boundaries because for about three years, we didn't have any. And we just, when somebody called, we ran and Ted could probably attest to this, <laughs> seeing me go through that and going, dude, what are you doing? It's literally the work hours and you're visiting somebody in the hospital. <laughs> and I wasn't getting paid to do ministry. Only Whitney was. And so like my job was, where I own my own business. And so that's what paid my bills. So when I, if it's in the middle of the day and somebody's like, Hey, so-and-so's up at the hospital, I need you to go pray for them or be with them. It's like, okay, I'll go, you know, cause there was no boundary set where no, you know, from this time to this time, I can't go places. I can't go do things. And, um, but even at night, nighttime was horrible. Like somebody would call and be like, oh, you need to go see so-and-so there. Something's about to go down. I remember one week in particular where I was gone every night of the week because somebody needed me. I bet what was super happy about that. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. And like um, one guy needed prayer and somebody needed help moving on a Saturday and you know, and then we had all the normal church stuff in between. And then, you know, somebody else needed prayer because something happened with their kid. And it was just one of those weeks where you'll never forget because I didn't sleep. Yeah. Because something was going on until four o'clock in the morning. And then I was up at four working. <laughs> so. why, why is it so hard to say no? 
like maybe Ted can answer this too. Like, why is it so hard to just say, Nope, not my responsibility, not my problem. I have something else to do. I actually have an answer for this. It's you become, you become the people that you, that people tell you you are, that you want to be. So when you're in ministry, I'm not, I'm a heathen that, you know, doesn't even go to church. Um, but when you're in ministry, I suspect similarly to like how I am with work, you become the person that solves people's, people's problems that feels good. And you end up identifying as that person. And then you end up getting roped into it because it starts out maybe you expecting that of yourself. Then it ends up your colleagues may expect that, like Josh had said, oh, these are the, they're the dependable ones. What they really mean to say is they're the ones that have no lives and have no boundaries and that we can all now take advantage of them. And we can do our thing while they're being busy being the dependable ones. And the more you get roped into that, the more that is who you become. And then it becomes habit. Now you've got a habit loop that you have to follow. You hear, it's like mowing the lawn. For me, if I see the lawn needs to be mowed and I get into my head, I'm going to mow the lawn. I can't not mow the lawn. I have to do it. And in this case here, if someone says, hey, I need help, I need prayer, I need to talk to somebody, you have become that person now has to complete that habit loop. And you can't, you can't say no. It'll mess you up to say no. And it's just like, if I don't get that lawn mode that day because it rains, it ruins my whole week because then I'm just looking at it and looking at it, watching those dandelions creep up higher than I want them to. <laughs> so I think it's a lot of it's tied into you become, it's kind of you are what you eat. And if you are eating your work or your ministry and that's all you're, you're doing is you're eating that, then that is who you are. And it's really hard to break from it. Well, and everything is always an emergency when you're the one having a tough time. So when you take those phone calls, whether it's from a client or whether it's from a church member or whatever, and they're in the thick of whatever they're in, of course, it's an emergency. Mm -hmm. It's like, I need you to come. I need you to do this. I need you to fix this. I need you to be there. And so like, I know for someone like me who um, responds to the emotion of the situation where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, what are they going to do without me? And it is that moment of feel good. It is that like, I can help, I can fix this, I can get involved and everyone will be happier. And that makes me important and satisfied. And so it's hard in the emotion of the moment, especially like in the situations where somebody is hurt or in a hospital or, you know, maybe it's the same way with work. Like, you know, everything's crashing, but I could help. I could be the savior here. It's, it's tough to say no to that. It's almost like that savior's complex. Like I can fix this. I can, I know with work, you know, when a server goes down and I bring it back up, like there's this almost dopamine high that rushes in because you're like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> I fixed the day. that. I mean, I can remember there was one time Ted, um, it was the soldier's angels thing. The same problem. That we, we were at about? Graham and Papa's. Okay. And I had to leave early because everything was hitting the fan and Ted was in Disney that what what was it oh they were under ddos attack and not everybody listening is gonna understand this but i'm already lost but continue but like i felt so good about myself when it was all said and done because like i built this back door that anybody who didn't access the site via this port um was was dumped into and then they were essentially dumped out and so all the traffic could return and like that was crazy <laughs> And Ted's in Disney and I'm the only one that's really working and we're on the phone and back and forth texting. And, um, and like when it was all said and done, I was like, yeah, I'm the man. I'm the man. And the trap. I remember the trap point. It's 
a lot of times where you're, someone's coming to you and they're like, hey, you know, I'm having a bad day or hey, I need prayer or hey, I'm in the hospital. I think the trap becomes you at your weakest of times. Let's say you've got your own problems where you really should be saying no because you've got your own stuff to deal with. But in those moments, it's even harder for you to take care of yourself. And you may end up choosing to do something for someone else to kind of brush your own issues under the rug. So you end up kind of trying to use this as medication because it's that positive feedback loop. It feels good at the end of it. Once you're done, you're patting yourself on the back. What a good person I am for helping them out here. But the reality is all you did was took more from your own well so that when you get back to your back to your own house, you're a shell, you know, a shell of who you need to be. As I think I've always said this to you, Josh, uh, from the wise words of Jay-Z, you can't help the poor if you're one of them. And he's not talking necessarily about poor in terms of cheddar, but like poor of spirit as well. And if you end up just giving and giving and giving of yourself to the point that you have nothing left to give, you know, you have nothing left for yourself or your family, even worse. And that's just not a, not a good position to put yourself in. Well, I think that trap comes from also, it's like, I know I've got my own issues. And so when it comes to it and I need somebody, I want them to be there. And not like a, I scratch your back, you scratch mine type of thing. Cause it doesn't have to be the same person, but like knowing that I went and helped somebody when I was, when I was down and out, when I'm down and out, somebody else is going to be there for me, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just like, all right, so I got to go do this. So. Well, and I think there's that expectation there if you're specifically talking about ministry and that is that like, Oh, you're a pastor. Well, your job is to be there for me. Yeah. Like people think that's what, Church, like church exists to be there for me, like to come to my aid when I need it. Now, no, that's a byproduct of what happens when you, there's a good church that, you know, there's provision for the people, whether it's, you know, actual material provision or spiritual provision, but that's, that's not why the church exists. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the church is there to, you know, to glorify God. And that can be a whole nother podcast about the theology of why we do church. But I think there's, like I said, this, this expectation that, you know, you're a pastor. Well, okay. I don't care if you're a dad or a mom or a, you know, you have a job, doesn't matter. You have to do for me, for yeah. me, for me all the time. And that's, that's frustrating. And you have to break that early or, you know, like Ted said, you kind of get sucked into this cycle of where it just keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps going. Yeah. For me, when we, when I realized that we had no boundaries, um, we sat down and really thought about what could we do to make this a little bit better? What could we do to, to enhance, to make it so that we have boundaries so that we, we can spend time together as a family and not have to worry about hurting other people's feelings. And, and so we kind of set aside Saturdays, unless there was a church event going on, um, we set aside Saturdays and Thursday nights and those were family nights. And unless it was, unless we had to be there for our jobs, we said no. And it got a little crazy because like we're missing birthday parties. I was going to say, I bet people didn't necessarily kids. like that. They didn't because, <laughs> you know, you get invited to one of your kids ministries, kids birthday parties, and it's on a Thursday night or a Saturday. And you're like, Oh, sorry. You know, that's family day. That's, that's family night. And yeah, we only got two days a week that we could choose to do it. And so, you know, that time was valuable. Whereas the other days of the week, we were flying like a chicken with our head cut off. Like it wasn't. Yeah. Well, we talk a lot about having boundaries to protect our family time, but 
what what about when you need boundaries within your family? <laughs> that, that's when things can get a little bit dicey. I don't know about you guys, but I have had some crazy situations where I've had to like set up some serious boundaries with family members. Oh yeah. Family members, even in, in our own family, like my wife and I worked together side by side in the same room, this, this office that you're seeing me in here for, I mean, like the first 10 years before we had kids. And we did that every day, 12 to 15 hours a day, religiously, no pause. Oh we had gosh. no problems. We didn't fight. We just nice. get along so well. It's weird. She didn't start needing alone time, like where, hey, I'm about to go crazy. I just need to get out of the house and go to Target and shop for an hour and a half by myself yes. <laughs> or I'm going to lose it. Like that didn't start happening until kids happened where, you know, it's once again, it comes down to you wake up every morning with a hundred in the well. If you're lucky, if you're probably, if you're lucky, you wake up with 80 to 85% left in the well. So those kids, when you have kids and you're not sleeping and you're trying to raise them right, you're waking up every day with 50% left in the well. You don't have a whole lot and you need to do anything you can to, to recharge. So sometimes going out and shopping by yourself without dragging kids around is like a night on the town when you're a 21 year old uh, human being. Not sometimes, all the time. Always, always. <laughs> all, all the times getting out of the house without the kids is absolutely a well filler. Because I know there are some days as a mom where I'm waking up at like 30% or negative 14%. And, yep. and yeah, that is that is tough, like within your own household. And I've established something very similar. Like I know that I can just say to Josh, different Josh, my husband's name is also Josh. I know that I can just say to Josh, like, Hey, uh, it's been a day and I need to get out tonight. So like for me, one of the things that we've set up is Thursday nights are kind of my night to be out of the house. Generally I am over here <laughs> recording a podcast or having dinner with friends. Um, but a lot of times that's the night I get to do a target run without the kids or, um, you know, even go to the grocery store and walk around and not have to take things out of the basket that the kids all threw in. Um, but I find when I go without that time, I do get more heated easily and stressed easily and not always a fun person to be around. So definitely those personal boundaries of personal time are important. I can attest to that. You don't know a thing. <laughs> and I think it's important to start seeing those triggers. One of the things I've kind of learned over the last couple of years, and I've actually taught my wife something for once, is that whole listen to that. Like if you notice yourself getting chippy or chirpy or losing your temper a little bit more often, that is your body, your biology legitimately telling you, hey, you're at your wits end, you need to do something different to either recharge your batteries or break the monotony of what's happening. But you know, when you start losing your temper more quickly at your kids, and you're catching yourself after being like, Oh, you know, was it really that bad? And you know, did it warrant me yelling or whatever, which is, you know, what my wife would be thinking. Uh, as soon as you start doing that, you have to then start looking around you trying to figure out what did I do today or this week? What could I have not done today or this week that, you know, maybe wouldn't have contributed to me using up the well. I talk about the well all the time to the point where Josh is probably annoyed at hearing me talk about it because it's like <laughs> nah. willpower is a finite resource. We all wake up every day with varying amounts, never at a hundred. And if you don't take care of it, when you get to 15%, you're trash to the world. And then you've just broken Jay-Z's number one rule. You've become poor of spirit and now you're good to nobody. And that's Can't just help it. the poor. It's not just about you. Yes, it helps you feel better, but everyone else around you is going to be better off if you're in a good place. You know, exactly. they, they say that, you know, 
happy spouse, happy house. And that's not just, you know, a, a, a dumb little phrase about why you should give in to your spouse. No, it's really, if you're taking care of yourself and you are making sure that you're filled up and that you're happy, everyone around you is going to be better off. You're going to be a better parent. You're going to be a better spouse. You're going to be a better friend. Um, and so when you let those boundaries slip and you get empty, um, nobody's happy. Nobody's happy because they all no. feel it. The negative energy, the attitude, everything that comes with it. Well, that's, that's what happens when you give, 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 you know, we're going to have a parenting podcast next. And, um, I'm so excited. <laughs> they got, I mean, all the, all three of these just, they line up together. Yeah. And, but when you give, 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 and give so much that you're just drained, you know, it might take, it might not just be a night out that fixes everything. Like you need a couple that's days. Very true. I, I mean, one of the greatest things that I ever did for myself and don't let your head explode over this uh, was when I took off to Wyoming by myself. And oh, I, my head's big. I know I went to see you and your family. Um, but it, it was, I was going through a really hard time personally with my job and what I felt like I was going to do with the rest of my life. And, you know, I had friends reach out and say, you know what, just come here for the weekend and help to make it possible. And it was a conversation at home. It was a real conversation with my husband about I'm going to get up and I'm going to get on a plane and none of you all are invited. I just need some time. And, um, it was so refreshing to not feel responsible for anyone, to not feel like you had to answer to anyone. And again, it's, it's not a sign of, I need, it's not that I needed a break from my family specifically. It was just, I needed to not have anything that I needed to be responsible for. So I could focus on me. And I did, well, I intended to do it for what, four days and ended up being six, thanks to a weird Mother's Day snowstorm in Denver that got me stuck in the airport. Um, but that was, that was a situation where I, I was beyond empty and recognized that things were going to get really bad, really ugly if I didn't take some time. And, and that's why I was able to do that. I remember one time I was, I was drained and, uh, work was, there was, work was stressful and, um, Ted will remember this cause he almost killed me for it. But uh, we were in the middle of a big project and I was drained from not only from work, but from ministry stuff and everything else. And I decided to take a weekend and go up to the mountains and there's no cell service in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> and so I texted Ted. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be, be gone this weekend. I need to go recharge. And uh, by the way, uh, if a server goes down, I can't help bring it up. <laughs> And, and, and I'm the opposite. I have never recharged. And that's not true. I do recharge, but that is, that is a weird thing with me that I always prided myself on. And it's part of that becoming the, the person that you think you are, like, and you really embody that. But my whole philosophy has always been, you know, just strap on my boots a little bit tighter and soldier through. Like back in my younger days when I was a 30-year-old with no children uh, and I was coaching lacrosse, it was, I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. I would work until 2. I would hop on a bus. I would drive to Rochester, coach a lacrosse game, come back home, get home by 9, 9.30, hop back in front of my computer until midnight, and then I would wake up at 4 o'clock the next morning, and I would do it again. Now, granted, as I was doing that, I was also 
um, go, I was sick at the time with what ended up being thyroid issues. So at the same time, I was working like a savage and patting myself on the back for how awesome I was. I was also crying by myself in my kitchen at like 4.30 in the morning as I was like sitting there drooling into my coffee and crying before I would then tighten up my boots and then go downstairs and then work like a savage. Had to get a good cry out first, but that's, <laughs> that's always been my problem though. I have become that guy where I feel like a failure if anything causes me to, to, you know, to become weak at any moment and not be able to handle my business. And it was the Lyme disease for the first time. I always told Josh, that's the first time in my life when I had the Lyme disease here this summer where there was like three or four days where I just couldn't, I couldn't do anything. My brother was in ICU for two weeks dying and I still found time to work somehow. And uh, the first time in my life where I just couldn't work, I couldn't even think about work because just thinking about work caused my heart rate to jump up to like 160 because I was on, so it was starting to creep into my cardiovascular system. And I just, I, my whole system was completely out of whack. So that was the, the, it kind of made me a more understanding person to other people in their plights. It kind of made me realize that that thing that I pride myself for being the savage that has no chill and no quit in him. I started to realize that's more of a weakness or not. I'm not going to say more of a weakness, but it's not, it's not all strength. You know, there is a law of diminishing return on, uh, on trying to be who I wanted to be. And I have to find some chill and develop some boundaries. I was See, just going to ask you, do you feel like that is going to affect any of your decision making moving forward? If you feel yourself falling into that again, or whether it's you're getting sick or whether you have a family member who's sick, do you feel like you would be in a place where you could take some time off or where you could say no or, you know, have a little chill? Do you feel like you're there yet or maybe no. we'll ever get there? I, I will get there. And like this week, for instance, I'm patting myself on the back because I quit work at five on Monday. And then Tuesday, that was the plan. I was going to quit a little earlier. I didn't. I worked till seven or eight. So like for me, the average day is be in front of my computer by eight or nine and then just try to get upstairs to do bedtime with the kids. I work from home, but I don't see them. They're pretty much banned from being down here for the most part. They pop in and out. And because we homeschool, I get to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner with them every day. But that's it. I see them for 15, 30 minute spurts. Then they have their lives to go on about and I'm down here too often. So the plan is to find some peace and to find some time, but I'm just, it's one of those things that when you're trying to work on crap, there's so much crap to work on. You can only handle so much at one time. Right. So, I mean, I'm trying yeah. to take the baby steps necessary, but it's, it's affecting, to be truthful, it's affecting my kids in a bad way. You know, I can see it. And it's one of those things where I know what I'm doing, I can see what I'm doing, and I can even see some of the, the side effects, you know, starting to manifest in my family, and I'm still helpless to stop because it's just the habit loop that I've gotten stuck in. But you said baby steps. I mean, baby steps are still steps, and so, you know, you, you'll get there eventually, and I, I know, especially with me, sometimes I take some steps, and then I get, like, knocked way back again, and I find myself right back into old habits and right back into doing too much and not being able to say no and yeah. it, sometimes it can be a vicious cycle <laughs> well even last year you know we had been running strong two years with this whole boundary thing that we had set up for ourselves where we did we said no thursday nights and saturday nights and then like something super important came up on a thursday night and it was like uh i kind of have to do it and you know, and then you compromise and, you know, your wife's like, okay, you know, my, you know, it's she's, fine this time. Yeah. And then, and then the next, the next week, time. <laughs> then the next week, you know, my friend calls and goes, Hey, I have a couch that needs to be moved. And that turned out being on a Thursday night. And it was like, uh, and like her brother's 
trucks were all being used so she really had no one and i was like well all right let's go everything's an emergency let's go let's go move this couch and what i didn't know is it was a three-piece sectional and only one piece would fit in my truck at a time (laughs) (laughs) so you know uh, what i thought would be maybe an hour which i could still catch dinner with my family turned out to be like a i didn't get home until 10 30 11 o'clock at night thing and that's yeah. where the old adage, like the, the like the law of diminishing returns apply because you couldn't say no. Now you're annoyed with this person when you show up because you're just looking at what you're going to have to do to actually help them. And then that sours you on the next scenario and the next scenario. It's like, it is a vicious cycle where you give too much. Everything goes bad at some point when you don't look at the signs and try to figure out where to draw the lines uh, yeah. personally. I mean, we had a fun night trying to move a couch and, you know, we get to her house. I'm like, all right, where are we putting it? She's like, oh, we're going to have to put it in the garage. And then we found out that her brother had smoked weed in the garage. And it was, you know, it it, it stunk. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it turned out to be a good night. It was just, it was one of those things where two weeks in a row now, I've had to cancel my family night to do stuff with other people. Well, and, it doesn't take long to see a routine change. Yeah. And it could only be two or three weeks and family night is no more. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, we haven't had family night in a while, so we'll just keep doing what we're doing. We'll get family night next week or next week or next week. And huh. it just keeps going. So uh, I don't know, Ted, you, you don't seem to be the person to say no, but um, if you could think of it, what, what are some of the worst things that you guys have ever had to say no to? You ever had to say no? Like, okay, maybe, maybe I rephrase it. Something that you really wanted to do, but you had to say no to. Oh, I, I definitely have one. So um, I'm a planner. I'm a pretty uh, typical type A person. Like I go all in, I organize something, I plan it, I have every detail down and then I just tackle it and kill it. And that's how I was in youth ministry. And uh, for a while, um, before I had three children, when I only had my oldest, um, I was the sectional youth director for a bunch of churches. And I was in charge of planning the fall retreat. So you're talking the venue, the lodging, where all these kids are staying, what they're eating, getting all of like the adult counselors and lining up who's going to do music and who's going to speak. I mean, it was a big ordeal. We're talking for between 200 and 300 kids to get away for a fall retreat on a three-day weekend. Um, But uh, the last time that I actually got to plan this retreat, I was pregnant with twins at the time. And I was very, very, very sick. Um, like multiple hospitalizations have to wear a med pump 24 seven, severely malnourished sick. Um, but on the medication, I was able to at least accomplish some things. And, uh, so I kept planning this retreat, retreat and planning it and it got time to go. And we're two weeks away. And, uh, my doctor said, I really don't think you should go. I was like, well, you don't understand. I'm in charge. Like, I have to go. This is my baby. I planned it. I did it. I'm going. And the doctor said, well, you know, this camp that you're going to is two hours away. And I really think for, you know, the health of you and the babies, you shouldn't go. And um, I cried. I cried in the doctor's office because I knew, like, I knew that this was a boundary that was super important. Like, we're talking about health. We're talking about life, my future children. And, um, so I told my senior pastor, I was like, look, I, this is a tough call, but I'm not going to go to this retreat that I'm in charge of, <laughs> that I have planned, that I'm supposed to speak at. I'm supposed to be like the MC for the weekend. And um, 
he was not happy. He, he was not, I mean, cause I was still months and months away from delivering at this point, yeah. all signs pointed to, you should be able to handle this. And, um, and I didn't go. I said, I, I'm not going to do it. It's, it's too risky. I sent my team with everything they needed. I mean, they pulled it off. They, I had people that I could trust. Um, but I was devastated because I didn't get to see the fruits of my labor, what I had spent so much time putting together and planning. Um, I cried pretty much all weekend. I, I was also pregnant, but <laughs> it was, it was a tough That'll time. Happen. And I didn't, I didn't want to have to, to say no to that. Um, but that was important for my health. That was important for my children. Yeah. Uh, but it was hard. It was so hard. <laughs> Ted, have you ever said no? My, yeah, sadly, uh, I coached lacrosse for many, many moons from like through high school. My, my high school lacrosse coach gave me and one of my teammates, a youth team, an eight, nine and 10 year old team to coach from my ninth grade year through my senior year. So I coached all these kids as they were going through the program. I got to follow them up through the program. I go to college. I get out of college. I coach high school for four years. I start coaching college for six years. So this was my jam. It was the thing that I liked doing more than anything else that I did. And I had to quit uh, doing it for all things work. Of course, where it was like, you know, as I'm sitting here talking about where I'm getting up at 3.30 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning and working until, you know, nine between lacrosse and work, it would just became too much. And eventually I had to pick and obviously work paid a lot better than coaching junior college lacrosse did. So I kind of had to decide like a big boy. All right. That was really one of my first big boy decisions outside of buying a house was not coaching lacrosse anymore. And I always remember after I had kids, when I would talk to people about why I didn't do it, I always told people I quit because Bonnie got pregnant and we were having kids. And she always reminds me that is wrong, that I actually quit for work because she always likes to make sure that I know that, nope, that's another thing that you gave up for work. And she's right. <laughs> I did, I, it, was, it was like a year and a half before she was even pregnant that I had quit, or maybe the year before she'd even gotten pregnant that I had quit. So the baby thing wasn't even on the radar. It was just, I couldn't do the the 12 to 15 hour grind, you know, another spring or fall. It was, it was murdering me. I can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, uh, so <clears throat> I was a worship pastor and, uh, at the men's retreat every year, I always played guitar and I was part of the worship team. And, uh, actually last year, um, I was going to be gone two weekends in a row if I did it. And I was going out of town with my best friend, the weekend before men's retreat. And then I was going to be out of town for men's retreat if I had led worship. And Whitney told me it was okay, but I was like, eh, you know, I kind of feel bad. That's two weekends home alone with the kids. And so I told them, I turned it down and I was devastated. Like I didn't want to, I, I didn't, I, I always, it was something I always look forward to every year. And, but I had to do this, other thing that I was doing the weekend before and it turns out um they had kept my room and so uh Friday night you know I get a phone call and they're like hey we got your room you know uh I just talked to Chuck and he can come down and he's like they're like you guys should come I was like I don't know so then Chuck calls me and he's like hey let's go to men's retreat and his wife calls my wife and says they need to go yeah. <laughs> and so you know it turned out that everything was okay but I go to this men's retreat now and it was awesome it was a great time 
but I'm sitting down now watching the worship team play worship and I don't get to be up there. You could have been up there, but you said that's a no. Terrible, that's a terrible example of no, though, because you still went. Yeah, but I didn't get to play on the worship team. That was the whole point. I, said, I no. gave up Stage. lacrosse. I gave up lacrosse, and you gave up. For work. You gave that up for one weekend. I, I, I tease. I tease. I kid. No, it's, it's all good. But, no, you know, it, it was actually what I needed. Um, going and i needed to ref like fill up myself i was kind of empty and and you know being on the worship team that wouldn't happen and so it actually turned out being what exactly what i needed instead of being something that i was i was going to regret but i still you know anytime i get a chance to play guitar in front of people i love it and so yeah i this is probably not the right answer to this question because it's not the worst thing but it is it is so big so I, I mean I love my girls but twins just really screwed up everything like I feel like God looked down and was like oh look at the cocky one over there let's give her two babies see what she does with that and, <laughs> and just kind of like it threw me and my whole life changed when I had twins and some things were positive changes and some things were really tough to go through like I quit my job like I I left church ministry because I had two babies and infant care for two is insane. It was going to be exactly what I was making. And so it didn't make sense for me to work just to hand my paycheck over to a daycare provider. So I quit, I stayed home, but I, you know, I lost a lot of other things. I mean, I, I lost volleyball for a long time in my life. Like I've played all through high school. I played through college. I played club team. I wanted to get into coaching. I played in the bar leagues when I could. And, I just, I didn't have that anymore because I didn't have the time I had, you know, a three-year-old and infant, two infants at home. And so it's, I felt like I went through this time in my life where I really didn't know who I was, like all of the things that I had had before kids, I didn't have. And now my only real title was mom and I wasn't pastor. I wasn't outside hitter. I wasn't all of these things and it was just mom. And that was, that was like a crisis for me because I'm not one of those women that's like, Oh, all I want to do is be a mother. And like, that that's, that's just not my jam. Like I love my kids. I do what I need to do, but I, there are so many other things about me that I had to say no to because for that time in my life, my kids needed me the most. And Luckily, I feel like now they just turned seven, the twins, and my oldest is 10. And I feel like I'm transitioning back into some other things again, finding myself again, um, because they don't need me quite as much. But it's still hard. Family boundaries make it hard. I can remember there's something that actually boundaries helped me get out of. <laughs> like, I was happy to use my boundaries as an excuse to say no. Um, there was this gentleman that went to our church and uh we didn't see eye to eye really um he was living in a halfway house and uh the reasons he was there i did not agree with and and we just didn't get along we'll just say that <laughs> we just didn't get along and uh he asked me one day he had like a free saturday pass to to go do some stuff and he's like hey you know, it was a Friday night. He's like, Hey, would you mind driving me around tomorrow? I got, I got some errands to run. I got this free pass where I can go out, but I don't have a car. And 
I was like, uh, I'm sorry, man, but you know, tomorrow's my family day. I just, I can't commit to anything other than being with my family. And like, I walked away going, thank you, Jesus. Thank God, <laughs> he, asked on, thank God he asked on a Thursday night or a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> That's what kids are for. If you can't use your kids to get out of doing yes. things that you don't want to do, why did we even have them in the first place? Okay, so that is that's perfect that you just said that because I know for mine, um, when I first had the twins, so, all right, my husband's side of the family, I love all of you if you're listening, um, <laughs> they, they have this thing that for years and years and years, everybody goes to this one uncle's house at 3 p.m. for dinner on Christmas Day. Like everybody, extended family, every cousin, uncle, everyone is expected to be at the house at 3 p.m. on Christmas Day. and. I get that that worked while like it was all siblings before they grew up and, you know, married and then had their own kids. And now those kids are grown up and getting married. So all my family is local. All my husband's family is local. And it didn't necessarily work for us to always have to spend Christmas day at this one uncle's house and my husband's side of the family. And so even before kids, it's kind of like, okay, well maybe we can do something different next year. And I was like, no, no, this is what we have to do. So when the twins were born and they were young, you know, they were like seven months old at Christmas time. Um, I threw that boundary down hard. I was like, mm, nope, it's Christmas day. We have a three-year-old at home who wants to stay in her PJs and open her presents all day. And we have newborn twins. We're not going to drag everybody around. And so for the first time ever, we were like, we're not coming to Christmas. And like, you kind of would have thought we killed grandma. Like that was everyone's response. Like, oh, gasp, how dare you? Like you're ruining Christmas. You're ruining it for everyone because you won't show up. And I just remember like having this conversation with my husband and us being like, no, you know what? At some point families grow and they grow and then they break off into their own families. And so we needed to protect our own family. Like we needed to have our Christmas. And that was seven years ago. And I think we've been back to Christmas once. And what happened was other cousins and other people started falling off going like, yeah, like we want to go to our, uh, to my spouse's side this year. And we, but nobody felt comfortable enough to do it because it was just this huge ordeal. And then we broke it and everyone was like, peace, I got, I got other family too. Yeah. Make, That's one of the it. first things we did. We One of the first things we did when we had the kids was like, hey, listen, my sister got to do it and she got to enjoy it. It's like, hey, we have the young kids. Everybody come to us now. So the yes. second we have the kids, we're like, hey, we're staying home because I didn't do that. I When I was a kid, we got dragged out and we went to the big family gathering at my grandparents where I had all my cousins and aunts and yep. uncles and everybody there. So my parent, my father and them, they were still trying to put those things together. And we were like, nope. You guys can come see us. Maybe we'll do it on a different day, not Christmas, but nixing the holidays because for especially being self-employed people that worked like crazy, the holidays are the only times that I can get like Christmas Day, Thanksgiving, like the national holidays where everybody's not working. July 4th is one of my favorites by far. It's the only time I get where I can literally do nothing. And I know that there isn't a single person on earth expecting anything from me on that day. So the last thing I want to do is spend nine hours of my day driving around in cars, being at other people's houses, getting sick and getting the flu from all these scumbags that are sneezing all <laughs> over me and wiping their noses. So it's like, that was, it was great. It was very, like you said, it was freeing. And in my case, 
other people were already on board and other people were already doing it. But that was going to be my question was once you did that, did you find that your other cousins started splintering off one by one because you were the one that broke the, broke the, the proverbial seal and now everyone gets to relieve themselves of the, uh, of the terrible obligation that was your in-laws Christmas. Well, and it happened so fast. Like it was like the next year, like one cousin was out and then there was like this exponential, exponential growth. And by like three years, like Christmas was done. Like just ain't nobody going like, Oh, we're not going to bother going this year. Nobody's available. And grandma <laughs> followed the year after. <laughs> well, but like you said, just mentioned my, my thing that I always said was why can't we just do a different day? Like let everyone have Christmas day and we'll all get together like the Saturday after Christmas. And so we started doing that instead. And one of the younger cousins from the younger generation started hosting and it has become like this awesome family party where everybody is together and there's no pressure because we've all had our own Christmases. So Christmas has really been solved. Thanksgiving, still a huge issue. There still is a big Thanksgiving get together. I'm not ready to like break the Thanksgiving. Yeah, but Thanksgiving's fun. Like we had fun. No, no, no. That side is fine. It's the other side. <laughs> it's the in-laws. It is. I love you guys. My in-laws are fantastic. Well, it's just the extended family gets a little cray-cray sometimes. We, uh, this year was the first year my kids actually got to wake up at, in their house on Christmas morning. And come down the stairs. Yeah. And so, so like that was important to me. And my in-laws were like, well, you know, you're only three hours away. Why don't you just come up here? You can spend the night, bring all the presents. And I'm like, no, because like, for the last five years, my kids have always spent Christmas Eve either in an airport or in a car. And they've spent Christmas Day because it was either a two-day drive or an eight-hour flight wherever we were going because of the, uh, because yeah, because of the flight. So no matter what, my kids never got to wake up at home on Christmas morning. And so this year I was like, you know what, we're starting a new tradition. We will come the next day or, you know, whatever that Saturday is, we will be there. We'll celebrate Christmas that day. But Christmas morning is ours. It's at our house. And everybody was cool with it because we would do that anyways, because we couldn't leave until Christmas Eve night. So we wouldn't get there. It was a two day drive. So we wouldn't get where we were going until at least the day after Christmas, and if not Christmas Day night. See, but now you live on the East Coast where you it's can, a you can just wait until the day after Christmas and leave and get there the same time as if you would have left on Christmas Eve yeah. from Wyoming. But my kids get to yeah. wake up and come down the stairs and see Christmas morning and see everything. And, you know, it's just all, it was, it was great and saying no was probably the greatest thing I did because I mean when they light up coming down the stairs and seeing all the presents there's nothing better than that and having family traditions that then they can pass on too because one day we will be the grandmas and grandpas and we will be the ones going why don't they want to spend time with me on Christmas day, you know, and hopefully yeah. we'll be able to remember like that moment where we set up boundaries too to protect our little families as families grow. Um, but I, I mean, I know it's hard. You've met my dad, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Family man. who's like, he's texting me Christmas morning. He's like, have you opened presents yet? How many more presents do you have? Can we come <laughs> over now? Are you ready for us now? Can we come see the kids? Like he's just, but 
he understands the boundaries and he, he sends those text messages and he respects that we want to have our family time mm -hmm. before, you know, he comes barreling through the door. You also take 19 hours to open presents. Okay, dude, it is way more fun when you wrap every single individual thing in the stocking. Every yes. chapstick. Bonnie's psycho mom does that. Yes. I thought that was a weird Canadian thing. And then she mm -hmm. makes everybody sit around a circle and you have to watch people open up first. One at a time. All of their stocking presents. Oh, it's Teddy's turn. And then I open up literally a package of lip gloss. That this was is wrapped. exactly how it goes at my house. Exactly. Yep. Every individual pair. I, I open the underwear that comes in like a five pack and wrap them individually. She's crazy. That is that's for that's for crazy people. <laughs> but but this is why we're like still opening presents when everyone else is like at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> it makes the day last so long. And yeah, we do also do the whole like one at a time. Everybody sit and watch. Like I think your kids, if the birthday was anything like Christmas, it was just like find your name and tear it open as fast as you can well, all together. There's anarchy. I have a, I have a two year old, a three year old and a six year old and they don't really understand the wait. We've tried it. Now is the time to teach them to it wait. Is. Now is the time. Well, I'll try this year. Strap them down to the couch. I'll try this yep. year. <laughs> this year. In front of them and just say, you cannot touch. See how long that goes. But no, I mean, on, on the birth, at the birthday party, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I mean, they didn't even stop to see what they got. They don't even know what it was. They <laughs> ripped the paper off and threw it aside and said, is there another one? <laughs> so you could just wrap stuff they already have yeah. and they would just enjoy they tearing the paper know. off of it. They would never know. So when did, so question for you guys, um, when did you realize you needed boundaries? Like, was there like a moment where you were like, okay, this has got to change, whether it's work or family. I know like for me, I kind of already shared having twins was like a big wake up call. Like you have some life change to think about. Yeah. This is the time in your life where you need to be mom first and everything else second. Um, but like, was there a time in you guys' life, whether it relates to work or family, when you just knew something's got to change? For us, it was when we had Tenny. Um, it was right after we had bought a house and uh, moved in. And um, I'd shared last week that living in the parsonage was not fun um, from a standpoint of people just knocking on your door randomly, even if you're in your PJs and by but, pjs he means next to nothing continue i, mean, I had underwear on <laughs> <laughs> but um you know we're living in our own house we're far enough away from the church now that that stuff doesn't happen but we i was still going out every night there was still people needing stuff and i was still going and going and going and i remember there was um one week where i mean it was i shared earlier i don't think i slept and so i think for me that week said okay we need some boundaries i didn't see my kids i didn't see my wife i didn't see anybody i i didn't see my friends because i was constantly out doing something for someone and um and that was the week that told me, hey, you need to set some boundaries. You need to set some family time. Because I remember that next Monday after that week was over, it's like, hey, it's my husband. Yeah. You know, and, Who are you again? <laughs> and 
I didn't have any, I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, you know, but it was because I didn't say no. And a lot of times seeing the effect that it has on someone else, if you can't feel it for yourself, you know, if you're not set into like a health tailspin, like Ted shared earlier, if you can't feel it yourself, sometimes it helps seeing what it's doing to somebody else. Mine was my kids, like more recently, like I've, we've always been pretty decent. The part of not having kids and being a workaholic is you got to have something. Everyone's addicted to something. So sometimes work is fun. Like I never, when I was working like a, like, like a crazy person back in the day before I had kids, I never felt bad for myself because I felt good about what I was doing to the point where I was getting something out of that. Recently with my kids to see the legitimate disappointment. It's one thing when you're, when you're busy and other people come at you hot because they're not getting the time that they want out of you. It's easy to be like, well, Hey, I'm trying to work and I'm keeping food on the table and blah, blah, blah. It's those moments where you see their legitimate quiet um, sadness at like, hey, are you going back in the basement? It's like, yeah. And instead of them being indignant about it or even jokey about it, you really see them just kind of turn around like, okay, like dad's not, it's for Thursday. We haven't seen dad all week and we're not going to see it. Cause I am good about not working on the weekends ever. I do not work on weekends for the most part. Once I'm hey, done, he has Friday, a boundary. <laughs> it is a boundary, but it is, it's a boundary but out of necessity because I'd probably die. But for me, realizing like, hey, my wife is really, she is a ride or die chick. So she'll kind of look at me with like that side eye and, and kind of try to hint to me that, hey, you know, they're missing you and you've got to do, do this or that. But she'll never, I mean, she'll call me out, but she understands that I have this thing that I have to deal with. And she also understands that sometimes my job doesn't care if I have a family. Like sometimes right. to, to keep the food on the table, the fact of the matter is I just have to do it regardless. So she's good at, at knowing the difference between that and when my own expectations of myself are what's causing the problem. You know, I, I end up being afraid. My expectations of myself are far more than anything that my clients typically would expect from me. So where I end up setting boundaries and taking the time, I'm always surprised that life goes on without me. And I think that's kind of how you would feel in ministry too. Like you don't want that to be the case, but once it's like, oh wait, I've been gone for a week and everyone's cool and people are telling me, oh, don't worry about me, enjoy your time. So when I, when I force, force it on people and I force it on myself, it's never as bad as I think it's going to be. But the, the wake up call for me was just seeing my kids when they weren't mad at me for it and where they were legitimately hurt and just turning around and walking away. That made me feel like a hot piece of trash. You just said something that is funny because in ministry, when you disappear for a week, you come back and everybody's like, oh my gosh, we missed you so much. <laughs> Sometimes, but like, but like you just mentioned, like that retreat that I didn't get to go to. I was like just waiting for the horror stories. Nothing went right and this went wrong. And they came back and I was like, how was it? Like, it was so great. I was okay. Well, how, how was worship? How'd the music go? The music was awesome. It's like, okay, well, you know, how, how about rooming assignments and all the, everything was perfect. There were it's no problems. Like we didn't even need you at all. Exactly. And, and here I am sitting, like, I should be super excited because that, you know, was all my planning that mm -hmm. paid off, but I was, you were kind of pissed. Like, <laughs> wait a second. Nothing uh, failed. Come on now. You really did this without me and didn't even skip a beat. That's not cool. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I remember we went, we went on vacation one time and I'm getting text messages from people like, Oh man, we really miss you. Oh man. We miss you leading worship. Uh oh. And like, and the funny thing was, I, when we moved, 
um, I would get text messages on Friday nights. Hey, we, we really miss you leading worship. Which means what the crap is going wrong right now <laughs> there. <laughs> and, you know, and it's, it's almost, it's like heartbreaking because you're like, ah, uh, and I'm like, yeah, but I had to move. Sorry. But see, but there's that, that rush again too, when it makes you feel good, when it be, when you feel needed. Yeah. When you're like, oh, they miss me. Oh, they can't do this without me. And then that feeds that well, I'll just need to find a way to do it or be involved or, you know, screw this boundary. I need that high. Boundaries. Boundaries. I was just going to say a good way to kind of segue to the ending here is that for my own self, my kids are sick and it's bedtime. And if I'm going to set good personal boundaries, I'm going to have to call this quits pretty soon so that I can do bedtime with the children. Look at that. Model citizen over Model there. Citizen. With awesome boundaries. <laughs> awesome boundaries. I'm learning. I've learned something today, people. It's bedtime is important. It is. It is. It is. And you know what? If you like the Bare Naked Christianity podcast, you'll like the blog too. So sign up, subscribe, listen, and let us know what you think. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.